0: Trigger warning, this conversation contains mention of rape and sexual violence. Hello, my name is Maiwa, and welcome to Maiwa and Conversation, a podcast that aims to explore the unique perspectives of Africans. This season, I have conversations with Nigerians that are making an impact by disrupting societal and cultural norms, fighting against injustices, creating new paths and platforms, and who are showing that there are in fact limitless possibilities on the continent. On this episode, I'm talking to Yeside Olainka Agbola, also known as Olori Coitus. Yeside is a certified sexual and reproductive health educator and an intimacy and pleasure expert. Yesterday has garnered an incredible following on Instagram by promoting pleasure, safe sex, and debunking widely believed myths about sex and intimacy. In a society that refuses to discuss sex and educate about sex, Laurie Coitus goes against the idea that sex is taboo and provides an essential resource for Nigerians. Thank you for joining me today, Yesterday. Thank you for having me, Maya. Right. So today our conversation is just going to center around um, the idea that sex is taboo and how this is quite harmful for women, um, as well as the relationship women have with sex. And my first question is, sex is often treated as a taboo subject unless it's within the confines of marriage. And in many ways, I think this is harmful for women because we are left with very little knowledge about our sexual pleasure what do you think is the value of speaking so openly about sex? And do you think sex is something Nigerians should be speaking about more often?
1: Well, I think that's a great question, Maywa. Um, When it comes to the subject of whether sex should be within the confines of a marriage or not, I leave that to the individual's um, choices, ethics, and I guess their religious background. People choose to abstain from sex for a variety of reasons not just for religious um or cultural reasons people sometimes have personal reasons why they abstain from sex but i am a firm believer that you can abstain from sex be celibate but also have comprehensive knowledge about sex i think that's where the disconnect is so we get this whole idea that you know Be abstinent, be abstinent. Okay, great. But while you're being abstinent, can you learn about this thing that is going to be such an important part of your life when you do start having sex? Or are you going to just start having sex, which is what happens to most people, especially women, with no knowledge on the process? So you don't understand how your body works. You don't understand how arousal works for you. You don't know what what would get you in the mood. Or even if there is, you don't understand that sex is not just for his pleasure, but it's also for your pleasure. So if you are not understanding that, then you go into, you know, your sexual relationship whenever you start, you go into it completely blind. And even for women who choose to have sex before marriage, or let me not use even the word before, but I would like to say for women who, use, who choose to have sex outside of marriage, a lot of them don't know what to do. And I don't mean in terms of the mechanics of sex. They don't understand their own sexuality. Mm. So they're just having sex because they're trying to keep the man. Mm. They're having sex because they don't want him to go and cheat on them with somebody else. They're having sex because that's the way to keep a man. Those motivations are very, they're very dangerous. And so whether you're choosing to have sex now or you're choosing to delay having sex, speaking up, which is why I do what I do you know you can people say oh i'm constantly breaking tables and i'm like look (laughs) we have to talk about this it shouldn't be revolutionary and it's so it's kind of disheartening that it is yeah do you get what i mean because it should be something that we should have safe spaces for us to discuss these things and we don't our mothers most mothers didn't talk to their children about sex yeah my mom gave me a book (laughs) (laughs) you know But at the point when she did talk to me about sex, it wasn't like a comprehensive discussion. It was more about her explaining to me why she thought I should wait. Yeah. And if I chose not to wait, how to protect myself. But that's not the only conversation we should be having. We should be having things about self-esteem, you know, like good relationships. What are the tenets of a good relationship? What does a bad relationship look like? A lot of women go into relationships that are super harmful to them, but they don't know what to spot. They don't understand, like you know, the red flags to see, you know, does this feel good for me? If it doesn't feel good, I should find a way out. Yeah. Do you get it? But they think that, oh, you know, this is how relationships should be. Oh, yes. He loves me, but he's been really toxic and he's been really, you know, like he's, he's really, really needy, but oh yes, it's because he needs me. I feel validated Then I feel good, but then there's some type of abuse and they're only thinking of abuse in terms of physical abuse, but there's a lot of emotional abuse that happens as well. Mm. So I, You know, these are all, and it all comes and works hand in hand with your
0: sexuality. And I think you're absolutely right because a lot of the time, especially in Nigeria, sex is framed as something for men that, you know, it's a gift the wife saves and gives to her husband. And I think a lot of this also has to do with how patriarchal Nigerian society is and the fact that women are taught to be subservient in everything also in sex as well. Um, And do you think women being active participants during sex can provide some source of power for women? And what does this even look like, a woman being an active participant in her sex life?
1: I mean, having an active participation in your sex life, it gives you agency. Mm. You know, you feel like you have some sort of power over your life. You can make a decision on your own Life, As opposed to you just taking whatever it is that you're given. And I mean, you don't have to, you know, a lot of times people think that it means you. When, whenever we talk about, you know, feminism or women's rights that we're saying, burn the men, you know, throw them away. No, we're saying that the woman has just as much rights as the man. Mm hmm the woman has just as much power as the man. We're not saying that now the women are going to take over and overpower the men. There's really, that would then turn it into a matriarchy, right? Yeah. That's not what, at at least for me, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for gender equality, which is where both men and women are privy to the same set of rights, you know, and power. And when you have a power balance, at least in some form, then there's no fear there's no you don't have to worry that you cannot voice out what you would like a lot of women don't even know what they like they haven't even thought like the thought of telling them okay you know what sit down let's dissect your own thoughts about this it's a really scary thing for a lot of women because they have never sat down to think about it because their thoughts on a lot of issues come from their parents their culture their religion their mm-hmm. pastor their imam you know somebody they always looking for and now even and I try as much as possible to shy away from when people um come to me and ask me oh what what do I think about should I do xyz and I say you decide but I realized that we're always looking for somebody to make decisions for us because that's how we were raised you know you're you were not raised to trust your own decisions you don't trust your decision. And you see with a lot of people, even in the smallest things, before they make any decision, they have to ask, ah, what do you think about this dress? Do you think it's nice? Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. So I'll get it. Oh, what do you think? I want to buy that house. So do you think I should buy it? Have you come come and see it? Like we don't trust that on our own, we are able to make such decisions. And it starts from the smallest decisions. And that is reflected in bigger decisions for our lives. But you see that men, they don't, they don't ask. How many men do you know like would be asking their friends for validation on something or ask it? They would have done it. True. And then they'd be like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did this. But for women, we tend to, you know, even if you're dating a guy, you want to bring him around your friends because you're like, what do you think? Is he okay? As you, you know, like it's just it's reflected in so many facets of our lives.
0: And this inability to to kind of make our own our own choices and develop our own sort of code of ethics and morals. For me, I think that's really rooted in religion and um, how much sex has been demonized um, by religion in Nigerian society. Do you agree with this? Or do you think it's it's just because Nigerian society, you know, it's so judgmental that you need a cosign for every single thing you do? So you see,
1: it's very easy for us to say that religion is um, a big culprit, but I, I always say that I think that at our core, Nigerians are still an idol worshipping group of people. Controversial. We have just switched. <laughs> I know, but I, I, I stick to it because I believe that what we have done is we have switched from worshipping Ogun Shongo and we have switched it to, you know, Jesus and Allah. But let me explain what I mean. So back in the day, right, um, your great-grandfather wanted to do something. Marry a wife, go and do this. What do they go? They call it Babalao. They go to a shrine and they say, ah, please ask Ifa'o, I want to go on this journey. Will it be good? Will it not? The Babalao, the Ifa priest will, um, you know, do his incantations, do his divinations. And they'll say, Ah, Ifa says that, don't worry, you'll be good. Your way will be straight. And then he goes what do we do now? A lot of our parents and a lot of us, even in this generation, we come from a generation whereby like people would call their imam and call their pastor, pastor, I want to make this decision. I want to start this business. I want to marry this person. I want to date this person. This is what, what do you think? What should I do? And a lot of times you're asking, you know, you're not really, we've not realized that we don't have to get to God. We don't need a barrier. We don't need uh, a medium to get to God. We have direct access. And it's the same way we don't think, we don't realize that we don't need a medium to tell us what we think. Mm. We have direct access. We can, we are as human beings equipped with the abilities to make our own, to form our own thoughts. You have lived enough to decide on your own. Is this my thoughts? Are these in line with my beliefs? Not the beliefs of others. And I understand that, you know, group think it's good. And, um, it's important to see what, you know, to go and follow with what your culture says, you know, in line at least. But again, culture was made for man, man was not made for culture. Mm. So you have to decide if that is working for you. But again, it's really scary if you think about it, because if you don't if you find out that your thoughts, and I think this is probably why a lot of people shy from this is when you find out that your own thoughts are different, they are divergent from what your culture believes, then you the fear of being an outcast of being ostracized, you don't want to be you know be, you don't want to be away from that community yeah because and so you say, you know what instead of me to just think about let me just go with the flow, this is what they're thinking instead of showing how you feel, you then hide in the dark, which is why, because when people talk about sex and how and how religious we are, we shouldn't have these many, you know, um, th- this high amount of STIs. We shouldn't have these many um, abortions. We shouldn't have these many um, people having sex outside of marriage. But we do. And all these people identify as Christian or Muslim, and most of them attend church on a regular basis, they go to mosque on a regular basis, they pray, they fast. In all other manners, they're very devout, aren't they? Yeah. So if they were so devout, why why then? Do, do you understand what I mean? I'm not saying, mm. I'm not casting judgment on anyone, but I'm just saying that, like, it's time for us to sit down and just rethink some of these things. And it's also because, you know, I have people who come to my page and say things like, oh, I, I literally had a man, because yesterday, um, somebody had quoted a Bible verse on my page. I was talking about masturbation and then I quoted a Bible verse back to her because she said, oh, you know, it's sexual immorality. And I said, of course, you would think it's sexual immorality. If I'm reading the Bible, I'm looking for words and verses to validate my beliefs. If I'm reading the Quran with a certain thought, I'm looking for words and verses in the Quran to validate my beliefs. Even a murderer can find verses in the holy books to validate their actions. But what I am saying is that if you already think that masturbation is a sexual sin, then of course you're going to think that it's sexual immorality and you flee from it. However, is it possible for us to look at it in the context of, okay, you know what, can you masturbate in the context of a marriage? Because the same Bible says that the marriage bed is holy and undefiled. Mm. Right. So whatever it is in the context of the marriage bed, I'm just using this as an example is holy. So then can we say that then you are, you're being holy while you're doing it. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? But mm. people are so scared to even think. It's like me saying that is like blasphemous, but it's not. I am a Christian. I truly do believe that God loves sex. Mm. It's okay to study the word, to understand it and decipher it on your own, as opposed to waiting for what XYZ person, you know, is saying about it. I mean, it's good to hear what they say, but what are your own thoughts? What are your own beliefs? I think that, it's it's so critical
0: and i think on this topic of of religion and what's thought of as as sinful and and taboo i also think there's a lot of hypocrisy because even amongst you know my peers when we have these conversations on one hand you have people who are very judgmental very conservative and very much rooted in whatever doctrine is preached in their church but the reality is that they are having sex and they are, you know what I mean? They are doing all these things that exactly. they claim are, are, you know, unholy and <laughs> sinful. Uh. You know, Nigerians are so hypocritical. How do you think we can bridge this gap between what we say and what we do? And how can we make sure women and, and even just young people are safely practicing sex? Because to the outside world, they're going to have to reject and deny any sort of sexual pleasure. <laughs> so I, I, I
1: think that education is power. Knowledge is power. A lot of times, you know, these people we're talking about, they will have sex secretly and they will go with a lot of shame. Even at the point when, even for people who are not having sex, you know, at the point where they now have the license to have sex. And this is what we find you have saved yourself for marriage. You have, you know, you have abstained for this long and then you get married, but then you're getting married with the idea because this is, you were sold the myth that, um, you're going to have a wonderful sexual experience. When you finally have sex, you're going to, you know, for the woman, they'll tell you, you know, your man is going to value you above all because you saved yourself for him. And then they go into marriage and then they realize that this is not actually their reality. I'm not saying that they don't necessarily marry men that value them, but you know, you expect that like, they think that they're giving this man a gift, Mm. but then he's not appreciating the gift the way that they believed he would. And so they're disappointed. You know, they assume that they're just going to have a wonderful, great sexual experience. And then they get to the point of sex and they find that, that they're having issues with penetration. Mm. I've had couples. In fact, some of a lot of the work I do is with couples that are, having issues with penetration because the wife was a virgin, didn't learn anything about sex. And now it's the wedding night. They have been trying for a week. I get a lot of messages. Oh my God, we got married last week. We have been trying. She can't get wet. I've been trying to penetrate. It's not happening. The woman is saying, Oh, he's been trying to penetrate and it's not happening. And of course there's disappointment, there's resentment, you know, all these emotions come into play. Mm. But imagine if this woman or this couple were educated prior to this. They knew what to look for. They understand they, they were made to understand the value of non-sexual touching of understanding what their original zones are. You know, what are the parts of the body that are more, you know, um, sensitive to touch what, you know, what does she like? How does she like it? Maybe, you know, understanding that like, it's not a race to penetration, but just enjoying the process of intimacy how different would their sexual time together be? Yes. Even, do you see what I'm saying? Like, and how different would that, that shame, there's a lot of shame, even in the minimal sex education that we might have had. It is Don't have sex until you're married. Don't let any man touch you, otherwise you'll be damaged goods. You make sure you don't get pregnant. So if you get pregnant, that's the end of it for you. Nobody will marry you. There's a lot of shame that comes into that. And we expect that somebody is going to get married. And the next second, like the minute they say their vows, all that shame and all that decades of conditioning just, you know, falls away and their new being, come on, it doesn't work that way. It takes time.
0: And I think on this, on this topic of, um, women being, you know, uncomfortable sexually and not really knowing their bodies and what they want and what they like and not being able to communicate that with their partners who might also be quite oblivious as well. A lot of the time people talk about masturbation as a, as a solution to this, you know, women masturbating more and knowing their bodies more yeah, exactly. um, and knowing kind of how they like to be touched more. Exactly. Is this some sort of solution to that? Oh, well, the sci- you know, the research and the science backs it up. The, in order
1: for us to close the orgasm gap, and what is the orgasm gap? It's just saying that if the, if a man and a woman have sex a hundred times, the man is going to orgasm about 97, 98 times and the woman will orgasm about 60 times. That's just shocking. And in fact, I believe that this, I actually think the numbers are actually lower for Nigerian and African women. For Mm. Because I think that that number maybe works for women in the West. I would put it to you that maybe the number with Nigerian women might be 30 or 40. That's just shocking. It's just incredibly sad. And it's also because The women don't know the way to their houses. How can they show the man how to get there? The men are not patient enough. They have not been taught to learn patience and delayed gratification, understanding the value and the pleasure in giving their partner pleasure. Yeah. You know, before it used to be that the man would just say, I am the man. Yes, I knock this. Now there's a lot of times when men, you know, men are getting a lot of, um, Validation from knowing that their woman has orgasmed. But what has happened now is that women, instead of them learning what is going to make them orgasm and showing it to their man, they would rather just fake the orgasm. So the man has watched porn, he has listened to his friends, and which I don't, I honestly think that porn is really um, dangerous. I don't see the value in which it adds to relationships because a lot of people use it as educational tools and it's not you should take it with the same slice of um the way you would take just any movie but a lot of people watch porn for education and that's really wrong because porn shows a lot of really 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 patriarchal Mm -hmm. um and very dangerous um ways in which people have sex
0: and just quite abusive it's
1: it actually is You just see that, like, there are a lot of tropes that are played in mainstream porn for the most part that is really, really dangerous. And when I mean dangerous, I mean things like, you know, not even asking for consent, not checking in to see if she's enjoying it. It's just you grab her, next thing you know, she's wet, Mm. right? But we know that that's not how it happens in real life. Sometimes it takes you more time. For many women, it takes a lot of time. And so when this man is, you know going by what he has seen, right? And then he's with the woman. The woman is just there. She might be in pain because she's not sufficiently lubricated, but she's too ashamed to, you know, say, oh, let's use some lubricant because she thinks that, I mean, I should be That's for frigid women. Yeah. Yes, it's for frigid women. It's for women who have issues. I don't have any issues. I'm a sexually liberated woman and so she's having sex with no lubrication natural or artificial. the man is there having the time of his life but she is having micro cuts and she's in pain but instead of her to be moaning in pain she's moaning as if she's in pleasure and she's hyping this man and then when she's tired oh, she's just like you know what let me just act like I've come and then she screams and you know thrashes about the bed and the man is like oh yes I gave her and he feels like he's magic like a, uh, he yeah. like a man what she has done is that <laughs> that reinforces the behavior because the next time he's having sex with her he thinks oh what i did the last time was great look at how she orgasmed i'm gonna do it again and again and again as opposed to you having a loving conversation maybe even outside during even during sex if it's hurting you should be able to open your mouth and say hey
0: babe yes i feel like communication is key even during the act talking is key It's not something to be done like in complete silence. But you see, the thing is, we as
1: women are groomed to be people pleasers. We don't want to, we think that if we tell him that it hurts or we tell him that we're not enjoying it, we're rejecting him. Or it's gonna be um it's gonna be damaging to him. Emasculating. Or we don't want to emasculate him. And so we're mm-hmm. like, you know what? Don't worry, let me just test it now. After all I've been testing all these other things in life. What does this one L <laughs> you know, what more this L? But the thing is, yeah, this continues and then it now starts to have that's when you now have women that will say, ah, is sex food i think i don't really you know they they can't understand the big deal and they'll be looking at someone like me say talking about sex all the time that are you not tired is this thing food please my dear just do it and we move on because there's no pleasure in it for them but imagine if these women were able to discover the wonderful Mm -hmm. great amount of pleasure that they could unearth with their partner and sometimes we talk a lot about the men, but if only we these men were informed about what to do and how to approach their partners to understand what gives her pleasure. A lot of men are actually very open and willing to learn. Yeah. I just think that they, they have been conditioned into, you know, like, oh, of course she likes it. If you ask most men if their wife enjoys or their woman enjoys having sex, they'll say, oh, of course she does. Oh, she loves it does she really exactly it's like does she (laughs) but they think she does because she hasn't told them differently
0: yeah and and this is just me being nosy but in your professional experience are nigerian women um masturbating and is this something that they still think of as as shameful or something for promiscuous women so Nigerian women
1: are starting to even masturbate more, especially with the, the, you will notice that there are a lot more sex toys in the market. Yes. In the Nigerian market, I guess in the past, um, even in the past five years, I remember when I moved back to Nigeria in 2012 and even just talking about sex toys could, would scandalize, you know, you couldn't even talk about it with your close friends, not to talk about You know, you could only talk about it with your closest friends rather, you know, you couldn't talk about it in mixed company, but now people, there are a lot of companies that are, you know, selling sex toys. And, um, so you're seeing that a lot of women are masturbating, but you see, there's a danger also in an over-reliance of sex toys. Sex toys are great, you know, they're great, but I also think that it can sometimes push the idea of, I'm just I'm just going to use a sex toy so I can get an orgasm and then I can move on, as opposed to masturbating with just your hands, understanding the process of self discovery and enjoying the journey, which will eventually lead you to orgasm. I don't know if that if that makes any sense. No, it does. So it does. I find I find that a lot of um, women, especially because they are not getting sexual satisfaction in their relationships with their partners, they then tend turn to sex toys to fulfill their need for orgasms. But then, so it's like, okay, yes, I'll be with him, blah, 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 blah. Then he falls asleep or when he's not around, I'll just turn on my vibrator and I get a quick orgasm and then I move on. You know, oh, I just want to orgasm in one minute or two minutes. It's not like a rush to orgasm as opposed to, I mean, like I said, sex is like great. You can even incorporate it in your, in your lovemaking with your partner, mm. but it shouldn't be something that you're just doing to just, I want, you know, I mean, yes, of course there are times when you just want a quick one. Right. Yeah. But if that is now the case, you know, like when, you, if you, if women want to masturbate, toast yourself you know, get yourself in the mood the way you would like to be toasted.
0: Prolong the experience. The
1: light, you know, dim the lights, turn on some candles, play some nice music, get some, maybe light some incense, whatever it is that just will relax you. Take a nice bath. Just, it's self-care, self-love. You don't rush that. But I find that because of um, how there are so many sex toys now, and a lot of vibrators, women just want to, like, it's just one thing they want to check off their list. Like, look, I'm tense. I just want to have a quick orgasm and I want to go.
0: I also feel like, you know, it's almost like women are now saying we have this sex toy that will almost kind of give you a guaranteed orgasm. And it's almost like making up for all the lost times. Mm, yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's almost like that because now it's like, you have this thing that will do for you what, many male sexual partners probably haven't that's really true so it's kind of like why work on Yeah, it's like why work on you know really building a better sexual relationship with my partner when I just have this thing I don't have to talk to it there's no journey it just happens and can happen in less than three minutes you
1: are hitting the nail on the head that's what it is. It's like when you say, oh, you know, why don't you have some sex coaching? Come for therapy. You know, why don't you tell so of you just sit down, you know, oh, come take this class. They're like, look, 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 look. All that is just work. Okay. Mm. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I have tried. This man is not listening. Even myself to even talk. self is work. I beg, let me just, you know, buy this vibrator. And I know that one and done. I don't have to worry. I don't say it's a problem, but again, it's like putting a bandaid on a gaping wound. It's not going to fix it.
0: And on your Instagram, you've been sharing a lot about how an orgasm shouldn't be the goal of sex and talking to some of my female friends, they say they see that as a bit of a cop out because then it means that you know, men can get away with not trying to make you come and still kind of give themselves a pass on the back because overall it was a pleasurable experience. What's that balance between, you know, not having goal-oriented sex, which can be very stressful, and taking it as it is? Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. What's, what's the balance there?
1: Wow, my you have, you're pulling out the punches. So (laughs) no, no, no. But I love this. I love this because you're right. There is a fine line between, you know, having sex, you know, getting orgasms and then saying, Oh yes, you just want pleasure centered sex or pleasure focused sex. What I am saying in essence is that the truth is you will not get an orgasm with every sexual experience. It is impossible. It's even. Do you know that even if you're using a vibrator, you will not have an orgasm. Yeah, sometimes with it just doesn't thing. happen. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. You will be there and you'll be like, ah, has it been 30 minutes? Ah. Because <laughs> your orgasm is dependent on so many things. It's dependent on your state of mind, your state of body, what's going on around you. You know, sometimes... Try as you might, you may not be able to focus enough on your body sensations to be able to come out of that space to get to your pleasure centers. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it might be the opposite. Maybe it's from your partner for whatever reason, right? So you cannot now say that if I do not get an orgasm, it was not good. No, it was good. You felt good, right? What is the point of sex? Sex is for intimacy, right? Connection physical and emotional connection. Did you have physical and emotional connection during that sexual experience? Yes. Did it feel good for you? Yes. Did it feel good for him? Yes. For me, pleasure is the measure. And Emily Nagoski said that. Let pleasure be the measure. Now, don't get me wrong. If this is happening 10 out of 10 times when you're not getting an orgasm, we have a problem. We have to fix that. But if you're having an orgasm eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, I don't think that that one time you don't have an orgasm should be such such a disappointment or should be such a problem. Do you, do you see where I'm going? Yeah. It's like when I tell men that um, there might be times when you will have erectile dysfunction. There might be times that you won't be able to get it up or it will get up, but it won't be hard enough for you to penetrate. It would have gone soft. of men under 40 will have experienced this at least one time or more. Don't worry too much about it because it's also a function of, just the same way um, your orgasm is a function of your state of mind, that is also a function of your state of mind, not just physical. It becomes a problem when it's happening more often. You know, it happened today, it happened tomorrow, it happened the day after. Okay, there is obviously a problem. Is it psychological or is it physical? But you cannot say, that if it happens once, oh my God, because what usually happens with when you're focusing on orgasm is the goal is that all you're doing is the race to the orgasm. How fast can I get it? How quickly can I get it? Okay, it's, it's not like a thing of validation for your pride. You know, did he get me to orgasm? And that's why you hear things like, he couldn't even make me orgasm. Mm. And orgasm is not something that happens to you, right? That's why your friends are saying things like, Oh, the man can pat himself on the back that he has done a good job. This is not a job. It's not, you know, this is not performance-based. It's not, we're not playing sports where you're saying, oh, you know, um, you scored five points. Oh, you gave me three orgasms, so now you have five points. Oh, you didn't get me any orgasms, so you scored zero today. We're not playing football. It's not basketball. What we're doing is just imagine that we're going on a trail, on a nature trail, right? We're hiking and we're walking through Obudu cattle Ranch and we're seeing all the different parts of nature, appreciating it, loving the scenery, you know, feeling good about just being connected to nature. Even if we don't get to the end of the trail, did we not have a great time?
0: Yeah, she had a good
1: time. I feel like that's like the perfect analogy. Thank you. I'm always looking for analogies
0: <laughs> when it comes to sex. <laughs> and For me, when we talk about pleasure, I think something that is really at the center of that is consent and constant consent throughout the act. You know, so making sure both parties are completely comfortable with what's going on. But I also think that I don't really see consent being discussed openly with Nigerians. What's your professional experience of this? Is consent something that people are thinking about, both men and women? And in the Nigerian context? Yes, I think in the Nigerian context, we're definitely starting to talk about it more, especially with
1: the news that we get daily about different types of you know sexual assault, of rape and that has really brought the topic of consent to the forefront now it's not where it needs to be but it's definitely coming into the conversations more and people are starting to realize that consent is really key now what we have seen in the past is that men would say but she said yes or but sometimes she says no but what she really means is yes Whenever you say no, because, you know, we say with consent, we say no means no. Consent has to be enthusiastic. But we also, on the flip side, have to encourage women not to say no when they mean yes. Mm-hmm. And that also comes with giving women agency to own their pleasure and to own their sexuality. Because a lot of times what we see is a woman does not want to be labeled as loose, as an asher as a pant, as a loose woman. So even when she wants to have sex, even when she's having sex with her husband, who she legally has rights to have sex with, she will still say no. She will still form like she doesn't want to, you know. A lot of times we've been been taught that, either consciously or subconsciously, either through, you know, what we were taught at home by our parents, by our older ones, or what we even see on TV, if you watch Nigerian movies and Nigerian TV shows, when do you see that a woman is so enthusiastic or a woman is initiating sex? When the man initiates sex, then the man, you know, is like, i, I come now and try to hug her. she say, ah, leave me. And you know, she acts so you know? coy. Oh, yeah. I don't want it. Oh, leave me, leave me, leave me. And the next thing, she falls into bed with him. So this is the message that the women get. So in their lives, they replicate this. Hmm. So... When, when their man is initiating sex with them, they say, no, no, no. At the back of their mind, they're saying yes. Now, this is not always the case, but my point is, for the woman where yes is actually your answer, please say yes. Because what you're doing, in essence, is you're confusing these men. So the man is saying, when she's saying no, does she mean yes? So if a man who has been taught consent, right, gets with a woman and the woman says, ah, no, <laughs> no, and he stops I've had women that say, "Can you imagine? He will stopped." Are you like, sis? I mean, he sh- he should shouldn't he stop? You said no, but she's like, "Hey, what's that?" she you should have tried. So you see that it's it's quite a complex. <laughs> well, I don't think our our situation is as you know clear cut as say in the West, where they don't have these inhibitions. Mm. So it is now trying to decipher what true consent is in the context of our society
0: that's really interesting like what does consent mean for nigerians considering the different social factors that we have instead of just copy and paste what the west says is consent and then internalizing that
1: but i think it's also really important for us to speak up because i think what really happens is that the men and don't get me wrong a lot of men don't also listen they're not listening for the, for the non-verbal cues mm-hmm. that the woman might be giving. Yes,
0: exactly. Because
1: sometimes they're so wrapped up in just their own pleasure that they're not listening to her body or listening to what, I mean, you can't be having sex with a woman who is dry and you're telling me that you're having so much fun. It would be better for you and better for her. If she was lubricated, you can't be having sex with a woman who's just there and limp, who's not holding you, you know, like things like that should trigger something in you and say, okay, Maybe she's not enjoying it. Are you okay? Is this good for you? You know, it might be great for you, but is it good for her? And women also don't understand that they have agency to say no at any point. Like you could have agreed, yes, to take off your clothes, Mm. but then at the point after you've taken off your clothes, you might change your mind and it's okay for you to change your mind and it's okay for you to say no. And it is important that your no is taken seriously. And so a lot of women feel like they cannot say no because i already came to
0: his house and this feeds back to what you were saying as well that again for just the man understanding you know being told and i feel like in nigeria this happens a lot that you know when women say no they really mean yes but they don't want to seem too easy and there's also that other stupid argument that men love the chase exactly you know so you have to you have to let him be an animal and and chase you but it's like an actual, it's, it's, it's unsafe because then when you actually mean no, there are all these stupid things going through the man's head and your head as well. And you end up being in a situation where you're just, you, you're just not comfortable and you feel unsafe and you are you end up having sex that you, you didn't consent to. And you feel violated.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. So it's like, which way, what, what way, what, what is the way forward? Are we going to... You know, which, which is why I say, I think that the way forward is that we need to stop saying no when we mean yes. When you mean yes, please, sister, say yes. Scream it from the rooftops. <laughs> you, know, you know what? You don't even have to scream. You can just whisper. Yes. But the thing is, let it be known so that when you say no, your no can be taken seriously. It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. You say no, 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 but the day you actually mean no, ha, how how are they supposed to know? But then I think it's also important. Like it's it's not something that can be fixed on just one end. It's also super super important for men to key in. I feel that a lot of men, and it's also because of how you know they were raised, they are just super wrapped up in themselves and their own motivations, mm-hmm. as opposed to. What's going on with her? Yes, they love her, but are they listening to her? Are they being in tune with what is going on with her? Such that, you know, when she says, oh no, this is not really great. And as a man, you have to train yourself to be able to accept that even at the point of penetration, if she says, I'm not comfortable, or you know what, I don't really want to do this anymore. Can we, you know, can we just stop? You have to learn to rein it in. And that is something you have to practice on your own. Yeah. Because a lot of them say, what do you mean? After we've taken off your clothes, you've taken off your clothes now. Why? What what do you mean? No, no, that what? what am I supposed to do with this erection? (laughs) You know? And, and those are the things that will be going through their minds. And that's why you have even things that say people, it's the same thought that goes and People say that you can't have rape in the context of marriage, that a man cannot rape his wife. And I say, really? If she says she doesn't want to have sex and you have sex with her by force, is that not rape?
0: Exactly. And I also think something I've heard as well is just men saying, after I bought her this, after I paid for dinner in this place, you know, how can she then say no?
1: (laughs) A lot of relationships, of our romantic relationships are transactional. Yeah. And... (sighs) It's a function of, I guess, the I don't want to say, is it poverty or, or just this whole, we, we have so bought into it. And I don't think it's even just even romantic. Think about it from even parents. You hear parents say, after I sent you to that school, this is the result you want to give me after I paid, do you know what it takes for me to pay your school fees for me to feed and clothe you and shelter you? And this is the things I get. So it's almost like everything we do, we're doing it with the point of you will pay me back this way. So when the man is getting the woman gifts, he's expecting payback. Yeah. And the payback is in terms of romantic affection and sexual favors. And then there are women who believe that he cannot sleep with me. What has he even bought me? Mm -hmm. Look at what his friends are doing. They're sending their babes to Dubai on first class. They're buying them these bags and shoes. Ah, Look at what this guy did for his baby. And now over here, please excuse me, Joe. You know, so I, I, I always like to look at both sides of the coin because you, if you only attack it or, if you only approach it from one side, you are missing out because it's a multifaceted issue. Mm -hmm. It's quite multidimensional. And we have to be able to look at it from all the aspects so that we can have a holistic solution to the issues.
0: Moving on to more questions around women's health, because I think this is something that comes up a lot, just women's health um, and trying to understand birth control and what's the best birth control method for you, how should women go about finding the best method? And when do you think women should consider changing birth control methods?
1: First of all, there are different forms of birth control. So do your research. There's long-term forms of birth control. There are short-term forms of birth control. There are also hormonal and non-hormonal birth control methods. So first of all, let's figure out what works best for your lifestyle. And it's always a good idea for you to speak with a health professional on the matter. Um, So that, first of all, you are examined. You know, not all forms of birth control would work for everyone. For example, if you're someone with high blood pressure, even if you haven't had high blood pressure, but you have a family history of high blood pressure or blood clots, certain terms of birth control would not work for you. If you're someone who is easily forgetful, for example, and you don't really stick to a schedule, you may not want to consider, say, birth control pills because you have to take them at the same time every day. If you are supposed to take it at 5 p.m. and you take it at 9 p.m., it won't be as effective. And then you may get pregnant. So, you know, you have to look at all these things. Are you someone who's looking for like a very long term um, set it and forget it? And you don't want to Um, you also don't want hormones, any home, anything hormonal. So then you can look at a copper IUD. If you are um, looking for something hormonal for one reason or the other, because maybe you're trying to regulate your period as well and things like that, then you might look at maybe say an implant or a contraceptive injection. So, and if you're someone maybe for personal or even maybe religious reasons, you don't believe in any type of synthetic birth control then you might look at the calendar method or, you know, the cycle method where you are
0: mm-hmm.
1: tracking your cycle by the calendar. But the thing about that method is that you have to be someone who has a very regular period. If you're someone who has irregular periods, it might not really work for you because you might miss out on when you think you're ovulating. then you could get pregnant as well. But there, there are quite a number of um, different types of birth control. I think it's good for you to start thinking about birth control before you start having sex, as opposed to having sex and then start thinking, oh, what kind of birth control should I go on?
0: So my last question is, what is the one thing you wish all women knew about sex? I wish all women knew
1: that they could have sex for their own pleasure and that they could fully enjoy the whole sexual experience as opposed to having sex just to please their men and to keep their men. They can have sex to enjoy.
0: I think that's the perfect way to end this this section of the episode and now we're moving on to rapid fire questions where i'm going to ask you 15 questions that are kind of based around sex and then a couple of just like random ones thrown in okay um so you're going to choose if it's a fact or a myth okay okay so my first one peeing after sex for women is a must fact or myth fact vaginal orgasms fact or myth Myth. Because vaginal
1: orgasms still include the clitoris. So the idea that, you know, a lot of women, a lot of people try to rate orgasms and say, oh, I can only orgasm if my clitoris is being stimulated, but I can't orgasm in my vagina. So I've never had a full orgasm. An orgasm is an orgasm.
0: Hormonal birth control is always dangerous. Fact or myth? Myth. Some women will never orgasm. Fact or myth? Fact.
1: Unfortunately.
0: Masturbation desensitizes the clitoris, fact or myth? Huge myth. Random question, but bath or shower? Shower for me always. Same. Lube indicates a problem, fact or myth? Myth. Lube is fantastic. Sex on your period, dangerous or not? Not dangerous. The bigger the penis, the better the sex, fact or <laughs> myth?
1: <laughs> That's a myth.
0: <laughs> Another random question. Baby making music, R&B or female rap?
1: Oh, baby, R&B, all day,
0: every day. <laughs> Vaginas are tight or loose, depending on how much sex you have. Fact or myth? Big myth. It's a muscle. You can't get pregnant if um, you have sex on your period. Fact or myth? Big
1: myth, because sperm can actually live for up to five days.
0: You can only get orgasms through penetrative sex. Fact or myth?
1: huge myth. 75% of women will not orgasm from just penetration
0: alone. You can't get an STI if you use a condom. Fact or myth? Myth,
1: but let me explain. (laughs) Condoms are the only form of birth control that prevent STIs, but they are not 100% effective from all STIs because something like, um, say, herpes, for example, if the person who has herpes is having an outbreak and another part of the skin touches like an open sore, then you could have that transmitted sexually, if you get what I mean. But for the most part, if you are using condoms properly, uh, it will prevent STIs. And I always prefer to say STIs as opposed to STDs Mm -hmm. because STDs mean diseases and STIs um, indicate infections, which are more temporary. You can you know you're not living with the disease the rest of your life most of yeah um sexually transmitted infections are treatable they're actually all treatable so most are curable
0: and lastly men want more sex than women fact or myth myth big myth <laughs> And in this last part, I'd like you to share three texts that have shaped the way you think. And I say text because it doesn't necessarily have to be a book. It can be a book, a poem, a magazine, an article, anything.
1: Hmm. I'm going to put the Bible as the first text. And that might be cheating because now I'm going to add three additional texts to it. Um, The Bible, just in terms of my spirituality, which is a really, really huge part of my life. And it helps me in, you know, just direct, helping me direct my path. So there's the Bible. Um, Then I'm going to pick, it's called Every Woman, A Logical Guide for Life. I read it when I was nine years old. Well, I started reading it when I was nine years old. It actually belonged to my mom. She didn't give it to me, but she had it in her library, right? Yeah. And I picked up this book and I started reading it. And I believe that every woman was my entry into the world of sexual health and women's health. Because every woman is this book that kind of trails the woman's life from conception all the way to death almost, and all the things that happen in a woman's health. So I saw for the first time a picture of what, you know, like um, a woman's reproductive system looks like, what a penis looks like, what is a clitoris, what is a vagina, what is arousal, you know, talking even about like sex and even some sex positions, um, things about um, learning your body, like when breastfeeding, um, how sex works, even all the way through menopause. And it was just, and it was done in such a, I, don't, I want to say in a clinical way that it, it didn't feel like you were, it doesn't, when you're reading the book, it was the first time, well, I hadn't been exposed to any other type of sexual health content or any sexual content for that matter. I was in just one. So actually I was almost, I was just about 10, but it was, a, it made it so as is, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times people say things like the way I talk about sex is as if I was talking about you know, a TV show or going to the bank, like, (laughs) like matter of fact. And that book talked about sex and women's health as matter of fact. There were no innuendos. There was no trying to, you know, like couch things in like soft manner. It was just matter of fact as it is. And really, I think it's one of the books that I always credit for. Like it shaped the way I think and view um, sexual health and women's health, just in general. So that's what, is that one or two? Is that,
0: have I said Yeah, two? that's one. The Bible was a cheat, okay, so Bible the Bible doesn't cheat. count. Okay. That's one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um,
1: Maya Angelou and Still I Rise is, um, is another, well... And Still I Rise and then Phenomenal Woman. I know, right? Phenomenal Woman, the poem. Oh God. It's it's a poem that I go back to a lot. And you really need to like, even listen to her recite it. If you ever feel any type of way about your body, about how you look, how you think, you know, when you read that poem, it's just like, man, Phenomenal Woman, that's me. Like that, you know, like it, it's that affirmation.
0: Yeah, it's like reminding yourself that, you're the shit like you're that bitch
1: <laughs> exactly you know there's a part that says I, um, like i walk into a room just as cool as you please and to a man the fellow stand or fall down on their knees they swarm around me a hive of honey bees you know like mm. and it's not about like how i look do you get it's about my presence it's like what what like you know like yeah. You know, when they say men themselves, have wonder what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. It's like, ah, ah, auntie. <laughs> um, you know, like, so it's just, it, it's just like, you know, I wish it's like, now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, I ought to make you proud. Haba, She Habba. did that. My Angelouf. Oh God, I just stand for her. I stand. I stand stan okay um okay so that's number two and then number three is ifru by flora wapa oh i love that book it's a tie between her book and um but the joys of motherhood oh stunning like oh god how do i how do i explain this we don't have enough uh in fact there's a third <laughs> one but let me just you know African women's literature, I didn't read enough about it. I didn't read enough, like as a young um, woman, maybe like in secondary school and stuff. I think maybe we read, I'm trying to think of a woman, a book written by a woman mm-hmm. that we read. I think we read Ama Ata Aidu. And um, I'm trying, there's one more, but I can't remember. But you see, when I went to college, and I think going to college in the US helped me become more African and become a nigerian i don't know if it doesn't really it, it's almost like you know a prophet is not really mm-hmm. um valued at home so i didn't really value what i was or what i you know or what i had until i left i took this class on like um the african diaspora and then i started reading more about like african you know reading african literature more and i started reading african women's literature and you know That was when I started reading, you know, like Flora Nwakba and Butcher Mechita. I remember like inhaling Butcher Mechita's books in like the span of maybe a month. Like every book I could lay my hands on that she wrote. But you see, Ifu was amazing because it didn't really focus on men. Like men were like... Men were just in the periphery. Exactly. They were like peripheral characters. It was all about the woman. And it was amazing because you don't get that from an African writer. And, you know, and that really spurred me to read more books by women. So like now I love, Mm -hmm. I'm currently reading, um, Sefi Atta's, um, The Bead Collector. I love, like I'm, I'm constantly looking for African female authors because I mean, you know, of course, maybe because I can relate the most to them, you know, and a lot of the things they talk about on the themes that they um, write about are themes that Mm -hmm. have one way or another also affected my life personally. But yes, I think, um, yes, I think I've given you three books or three texts.
0: Yeah. This year I've literally told myself that I'm only reading black woman writers and it's just been amazing. Just so amazing to just live in this universe created by women. And it's just so affirming as well. And just so empowering, And I've just noticed that my self-esteem has gone up so much just reading women and centering women characters. Like, your shoulders are up. Yeah, and it's like the best feeling. I just love it. And, you know, I think that even spurred me
1: to read just women writers just across the world. Like, I got into, like, reading, like, Jhumpa Lahiri, um, reading, like, a bunch of just, you know, female Authors, not necessarily from the West. I started seeking out, you know, books written, and the theme is, I don't want to say identical, but you can see a thread. Mm -hmm. And it's very different from if you're just reading, um, you know, like Western literature or or books written by um, women. Even if you're looking at the feminist movement in the US, it's so exclusionary of women of color. Yeah. And it's really important to be able to get those stories and. Read those stories. I mean, if you read, for like Idrima Membuio's um, letters to Ada, it's like
0: <sighs> mm, stunning. What you know, you're
1: just like oh, like, like oh. literally goosebumps, goosebumps from her poetry. Like sis, you know, or are you ta- are we talking about um, Nahira Wahid? I think. Gosh, I hope I get her <laughs> name right. <laughs> and you know, there's just so many, so so many, and as a woman of color. As an African woman, it's so important to like feed your soul with these type of texts.
0: I agree 110%. <laughs> Thank you for being on today's episode. It's been such an amazing conversation even with all the technical issues.
1: <laughs> hey, look, we're in Lagos. Well, it's it's one to, to show. We move, we move, we move, <laughs> we push through. And yes, this was really this was a great conversation to have. Thank you so much, Maya, for having me. Oh.
0: To find more information about Yeside, follow her on Instagram at Olori Coitus. That's O-L-O-R-I-C-O-I-T-U-S. There you can find links to book one-on-one sessions with her, as well as book group events. You can find me on Instagram where I'll be reading and reviewing books at myowa underscore reads. Thank you for listening.